everybody, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 16 of History's Greatest Idiots, the show where we go back through all of human history and bring you lessons that you can learn from other people's mistakes so you never repeat those mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. We love making mistakes, and actually sometimes uh, they can be really entertaining for other people, so please continue to be stupid, people. Uh, <laughs> joining me as ever is my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I was just playing air piano harpsichord to our <laughs> intro song over here. I was I was quickly trying to activate all of the different um, platforms that we're streaming on. So that would be YouTube, Twitch and Twitter and then send out a social post at the exact same time, all in like 45 seconds. And I've managed to do it. It might not look so great, but it's it's out there now. So. See, I need to get some of these little insert buttons. I could do applause for you right here. Cheers. Oh, that would be great. Can you? Oh my God! You get, get like the, those really old like <laughs> DJ sounds, like the the kind of the boing stuff that you used. To yeah, get I'm finding them. And stuff. It's yeah, happening. That's amazing. <laughs> I didn't even realize we could do that. Oh my God! I'm so uh, we've we've barely scratched the surface. Of, you guys are in for treats. Yes, you can do amazing sounds, especially with one of them um, being so. Well, I mean, both of them are pretty weird, but oh, um, so. Uh, yeah, we should probably talk about things that have uh, changed recently with our socials. Um, so I need I need to look at this. I'm trying to find. So we have, um, I think, a new Patreon. Yes, we have a new Patreon. Um, yes, we now have three Patreons. So I just want to get this out of the way now. These are awesome. They're amazing. We're growing. We're growing. It's spreading. Um, <laughs> so I want to give a shout out to our first ever patron, uh, Jesse Christ, who is just, we love you, Jesse. You're the OG. Thank you so much. And then Kimberly Johnson, who's joined us so many times for these streams. Thank you so much. And now, um, Andrew Zavara, I think that's spelled Z V A R A. Thank you so much for being our third patron. It means the world to us, you guys giving us your Absolutely. support. Honestly, thank you so much. And if you guys want to support us on Patreon and get a shout out on the stream, as well as like a special gift when you join and access to behind the scenes stuff like scripts and pictures and stuff like that, please go to patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots and you can join us. And Kimberly's here now. Hi, Kimberly. Hey, guys. We're, uh, we're only going up from here. Yeah, that's right. We're on our way up. Also joining us as ever. A super loyal follower and Twitch conversationalist Toasterzoid. Toasty, thank you so much for joining us. It's good to have you on board. Get busy more- day here. Super busy. <laughs> While we're here as well, if you guys want to follow us on Instagram, go to at History's Greatest Idiots. You can follow us there. And on Twitter, we are at Greatest Idiots. We do also have um uh what's that thing, that new thing that um threads? Threads, yeah, and, that's being sued. The artist formerly known as Twitter. I mean, the, platform. Uh, platform. Well, actually, no, well, yeah, it's it's a clone. It's invasion of the body snatchers. Um, Twitter, <laughs> essentially, like Zuckerberg came over and went, "Oh, I'll have a bit of that, only without the craziness." Nom, 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 nom. Just took it all over here, and now he's getting sued. And then they're going to have a cage fight. Maybe they can decide the the trial in a cage fight. That would be a good way. Spe- oh, speaking of cage fights. Yes. I take back all the mean things I said about the Pauls. They're doing great stuff. They are. They're kind of amazing. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to... 
I'm never going to fully forgive them because I can't remember which one it is. They're essentially they're one being, as yeah. far as I can tell. Um, one of them was involved in a pretty substantial crypto scam recently. If you guys follow uh, a YouTuber called Coffeezilla, I think it is. Um, Coffeezilla produces the most incredible investigations into crypto. I'm shocked about them too. Yeah, everyone's shocked that the polls are decent people. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> Go and check out CoffeeZilla. He's done a, a number of investigations into, I think it's Jake Paul or Logan Paul. I, I don't want to defame the wrong Paul brother. Um, their, their crypto stuff. And it's super fucking dodgy. So uh, go and check out CoffeeZilla. He does really interesting investigations into crypto and stuff. And it's very accessible stuff. So there's some good content there. And he also talks about some of the people that we've covered. The, the the crypto people who have just disappeared into the ether and have never been found again. So, yeah. Very nice. Go and check out CoffeeZilla. But yeah, I, I agree with you. The Pauls have got quite the redemption arc. Um, Logan Paul might be, and there's a thing in the wrestling community, and I'm going to go back to wrestling now. Uh, <laughs> there are wrestlers, and then there are like celebrities and special guests who make appearances who are called non-wrestlers if they're involved in a match. So the original one, I guess, would be Mr. T at WrestleMania 1. And we've also had Floyd Mayweather, who made a, a, an appearance at a WrestleMania. For the longest time, people were saying that Floyd Mayweather was the greatest non-wrestler to ever wrestle, essentially. Um, also, um, recently, a couple of people who have come along, who've become, who are non-wrestlers, who have turned into incredible performers. Bad Bunny, musical artist um, is and actor, has become a wrestler. He's incredible. Really? Oh, yeah. Honestly, absolutely amazing. He had a match against uh, uh, one of the wrestlers in Puerto Rico recently, and the the sound coming out of that was intense. Like, it was just nonstop noise the entire time. Rarely heard anything like it. And the other person is Logan Paul. Logan Paul is the best non-wrestler I've ever seen. He does things in the ring that a lot of wrestlers can't do. And I was really surprised at how good he was. So, oh. and also, then you've got his his brother advocating for UFC uh, mixed martial artists, and particularly the ones in UFC getting paid more than eleven grand for a fight. Yeah. Like, well, damn, yes, you should have a minimum wa uh, wage for these people who are fighting, and they should have medical cover. Yes, yeah, we like that. <laughs> so, so, and it was just a return to old idiots there. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Old idiots but, who are on a redemption arc, unlike yeah. Elizabeth Holmes, who will probably never be redeemed. Yeah. At this point, <laughs> like that's she's having a child. Has she had a child in prison? I can't. Remember. I haven't. I haven't been following honestly. Yeah. I know she's in prison. I think she's in prison. Anyway, I could be wrong. I believe there was a sentencing at least. There was. Yeah, I think it was eleven years or something. So that's like, yeah, it's a long time actually. Yeah. But you know, it's it's not. I think it might be Martha Stewart time. So I think she's probably going to be okay. Like, oh, Elizabeth George, come and join us on the rowing team today. Oh, we're going <laughs> for a row. The guards are joining us. It'd be so much fun. Um, so I think it's that kind of prison. I'm still too soft for that kind of prison. I'm still too soft for that kind of prison too. <laughs> Just let me have my blankets and stuff. Anyway, so we've kind of done our introductions. Thank you so much to our patrons. I'll be doing a post later on today. I've been a little bit slack recently because... I'm talking at a conference in like a week. I just want to point this out. It's called Unicorn. And as soon as they invited me, I was like, isn't that like a villain in, in Transformers? But no, um, I was thinking of Unicron. Oh, um, there you go. 
who was voiced by Orson Welles, random thing. Um, so Unicorn, I'm talking at Unicorn. I'm one of the featured um, speakers at this that event. Is, that is pretty cool. So if you guys search for Unicorn 2023, you can register. I can't remember how the, the process, I think it's like unicorn.social or something, but you can register and I'll be talking on like Sunday the 19th. Uh, we can listen like, online? It, it, so it, you can watch it online, yeah. It's all remote. So yeah, it's like 9 a.m. Pacific, I think. Okay. Um, so like, what's that like Eastern? That's like 1 p.m., something like that. 12? One? 12, yes, 12, one. yeah, something like that. And like 8 p.m. my time. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, we'll definitely be doing that. So please come along for that. But I guess we should get into the show. So yeah. Eric, <laughs> <laughs> Derek, who's your idiot? Uh, today I'm, I'm going to present to you a man who turned Romania into his own personal playground of eccentricity and of brutal dictatorship. Hmm. So the events that unfolded were a mix of good ideas to start that turned into absurd cruelty and power plays that kind of just left me confused and bummed out because he gave communism a bad name for yeah. real. Oh, yeah. Um, his name is Nikolai, damn it, Ceausescu. Ceausescu. He was born on February 5th or the 8th, 1918, in the quaint village of Scornsestity, Romania. Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> and let's just say his birth certificate played this little game of hide and seek. That's why I say it was the February 5th or the 8th. It had something oh. to do with a calendar change at the same time okay. or a delay in recording. And then just for good measure, his autobiography says his birthday was the 26th of January. So moving <laughs> on, <those>. Nikolai, <laughs> Nikolai grew up in a poor peasant family and he had eight siblings. His father had three uh, hectares of agricultural land and a few sheep. So they were okay. just humble farmers. Mm. Sorry, did you say three hectares? That's yes. That's 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 not bad. That is. That's I mean, a hectare is quite a fair bit of like like if you have as a farmer, I guess like ten acres is pretty good small holding, but hectares is not bad. But it's Romanian hectares, so it's probably not great land because it's very mountainous. So yeah, yeah I don't. I was thinking muddy, but I just I think I might be thinking of Ukraine. Yes, that's yeah, because that's the steppes, so that's still super flat. Romania, all like really mountainous, like think Transylvania, Carpathians, stuff like that. It was basically the the wall between Europe and the Ottoman Empire was basically like Romania, Carpathia, and Transylvania, and all these places. It was basically a natural barrier. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, he's grown up in this natural barrier in a peasant <laughs> farm with a few sheep, and and then you know. Things happen. Uh, <laughs> uh, he and he attends school until he's 11 years old in his village, and then he moves to Bucharest. You right. fast forward a little bit, and he finds himself knee-deep in the Communist Party shenanigans mm -hmm. going on at the time. And yeah. an active Communist Party member takes him under his wing, and he starts working as an apprentice shoemaker. Oh, okay. Not quite governmental, but no. hey, but whatever. <laughs> yeah a good profession good solid profession for a communist and he could have stayed there but soon he's involved in communist party activities like the teenage revolutionary on a mission 
and yeah. he gets arrested his first time when he's just 15 years old in 1933 because oh of his God. involvement in a street fight that occurred during a strike. Well, I'd like to say I'm mad at him, but I'm not. No, it's like it's a strike. There's going to be fighting. You're probably going to get arrested. Like, yeah. That's kind of par for the course. That's not too out of the ordinary. So yeah. strike, protest, don't be violent. There you Basically. go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, 1934. He's arrested multiple more times for gathering signatures on a petition that protested the trial of railway workers that mm. were engaged in similar activities. Don't know why. Uh, seems like oppressive government things going on there, mm. which may have gave him a bad taste in his mouth. He wasn't arrested uh, just one time, but multiple times for rebellious escapades. And he Ooh. kind of had a knack for finding trouble. By the mid-1930s, the secret police had a profile on him and had him labeled as a dangerous communist agitator and a distributor of communist and anti-fascist propaganda materials, which I want to <laughs> talk about for a second. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Dangerous communist ad agitator. That yes. seems like, okay, yes, watch somebody yeah. like that. Yeah, Distributor absolutely. of communist and anti-fascist propaganda materials. Maybe the propaganda thing is dangerous, but what's wrong with being anti-fascist? Fascists I, I know. I know. It's like, if you were to split those two things in half, so uh, like you were saying, like the uh, communist agitator, that's a serious thing because communist agitators... When you go right back and look at people like Stalin, Che Guevara, people like that, they're quite dangerous people. Stalin yes. used to blow shit up all the time when he was a handsome young man. Che Guevara killed thousands of people. So while they're doing it for a good cause, they are really fucking dangerous. So yes, keep an eye on that. However, distributing communist pamphlets in a free country, you shouldn't really have a problem with that. Also, distributing anti-fascist um, propaganda, you should probably be helping with that because nobody should be living under fascism at all. So, Ever. yeah. Ever. It's and I mean, this is the 30s, so... Yeah. That's a good time <laughs> to be doing that sort of work. Exactly. Anyway, his, his conviction on June 6, 1936 for those crimes resulted in a two-year prison sentence Oof. as well as six months uh, for contempt of court because, you know, he's... Told to fuck off, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then he had one year of forced residence in his hometown uh, where he found himself in the company of a woman named Elena, who he later made his wife. And perhaps if she knew what was to come, she would have took off. Yeah. But maybe it was true love in maiden communism or something. Yeah, I guess like she fell in love with the guy he was at the time and the potential he had to be instead of the man he became. I guess. Something the... went horribly wrong. Yeah. Yeah. At this point here from Tostoid, maybe the government was fascist sympathetic. I think a lot of governments were in the 1930s because they were like, well, the other stuff wasn't working, so maybe this will work. But actually, no, don't don't try fascism. It's not something that works. It does seem to be a move of desperation. It does. Yeah. So anyway, he, he met her. He's uh, moving from one prison to another, ends up at an internment camp for uh, charges on conspiracy against the social order. Okay. In 1943, they transferred him to um, oh, to Tragu. Okay. Jew? Tragu, Tragu Jew? Yeah, internment camp where he shared okay. a, a cell with 
Oh my God. I practiced this all morning. George, <laughs> uh, George, uh, the original communist leader of Romania. The, oh, what? Mm. I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to put it. Can we put it? I'm going to put it up for people that are watching. It's G H E O R G H E. G H E O R G H I U dash D E J. Oh, I I didn't catch much of that, but I'm gonna look it up now. Communist. I posted it there in the comments. Let me have a <laughs> quick <people> look. <laughs> but, oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, oh man, I I I I know what you mean. I've pronounced that before. I've also known a few Romanian footballers that have got that name, but um. Yeah, it's essentially the Romanian version of George, George something. Right. Yeah. Well, he becomes this guy's protege, and you can kind of, if if you know who I'm talking about, which most people that are listening to our show are, are smarter than me, and they know who exactly who I'm talking about. Still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he he's rubbing shoulders with this guy. That guy becomes the first communist leader of Romania, and wow. um, now I've already messed up. Uh, did I get it? What? Damn! There's gonna be a lot of this. Sheshu. What Sheshu. Is this? Okay. There we go. He he is taken under his wing in prison, which is weird place to get involved in government. Yeah, uh, that, that I mean, it's funny because in America, it seems that prison is a breeding ground for expert criminals. So you go in under one crime you learn at the feet of better criminals and you come out a better criminal in the uk it's kind of like prison is basically a giant farm for mental illness like people go in reasonably normal and they come out with a significant amount of mental health issues and it seems that in other parts of the world that people can actually learn actual skills in prison so it seems like the us and the uk kind of doing prison wrong well but, i mean yeah I don't know. I did, his skills were horrible that he learned. <laughs> yeah. but, um, yeah, after, the, after the communist rise to power in Romania in 1947, uh, is it Cheshu? That's right, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he attended some military academies, and before he knew it, he ended up second in command at the party. Cheshu became a member of Romania's communist legislative body, the Great National Assembly, with the support of his mentor, Imagine that. Mm. Um, he received an appointment as the secretary of the Ministry of Agriculture in May of 1948, moving right. on up. And shortly thereafter, he's promoted to the deputy minister in March 1949. Oh, okay. Not bad for a yeah. humble shoemaker's apprentice. Definitely moving on up to the east side. Yeah. The deluxe apartment in the sky. Now... Something happened in prison, I think. Maybe okay. he was mad about the way he was oppressed. Maybe sure. he was upset at uh, how they kept him down. But as a high-ranking state official in the Ministry of Agriculture and the Ministry of Defense, Cheshu played a significant part in the forced collectivization. Mm -hmm. Like, you're going to do it my way. Yeah. Sorry, I just want to say, sorry. Chaichu. Chaichescu. Chaichescu. There you go. Ha <laughs> ha. Good God. I practiced this all morning I, long. I know. It's, it's actually I the, the way I learned it in history is chai tea, chess the game, and coup, as in coup. taking power. So chai, chess, coup. 
Chai Chess Coup. There we go. <laughs> yes. So during his tenure, Chai Chescu, um, the records show he arrested over 80,000 peasants between 1949 and 1952, sentenced 30,000 of them to prison. And like one instance of this, they, there was an uprising in uh, Ver- Verancia County where they sure. opposed a state program of ex- exportative of uh, ex. <laughs> they were collectivizing and right. Ceausescu came in with military units and suppressed the uprising by ordering them to open fire with machine guns. Holy shit. On the and, and from the trucks and with the tanks and he killed nine people wounding 48 jesus christ and then arrested 18 peasants for rebellion and get this conspiring against social order oh uh, for fuck's sake man he's become <laughs> the oppressor very quickly here. <laughs> yes oh, he has so after the death of his mentor on march 19th 1965 mm-hmm. they didn't originally think uh they they didn't he wasn't the obvious successor despite right. him being so close to him, but mm. uh, he was selected as a compromise candidate and became the general secretary on March 22nd, 1965, just right. three days after uh, Georgie's death. Wow. And I just guessed that. I just messed. I just that's bastardized fine. the name. You guys. That's, 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 uh, yeah, that, that kind of works. Georgie, Georgie. Yeah, that, that's kind of close enough. Um, when he, First takes power, he renames the the party the Communist Party of Romania and mm-hmm. declares the country a socialist republic instead of a people's republic. Oof. Okay. He consolidates power in 1967, becoming the president of the state council, and it, that kind of makes him the ultimate authority. Yeah, he's essentially a dictator at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. And and as dictators do, he starts imprisoning um, or sending thousands of his political opponents to psychiatric hospitals or prisons, you know, like mad dictators do. What's the, what's the saying? Um, If you go after me, I'm coming after you. That's it. Right. Yeah, basically. Um, So at first, Ceausescu gained popularity in Romania and the West because he had an independent foreign policy, which was not something that you would think would be happening at the USSR time. Uh, Yeah. He was one of a few holdouts. Him and Yugoslavia were somewhat independent of the Soviet sphere of influence. And as a result, they kind of got a little bit more help and support from the West. Not much, um, but they were they weren't afraid to stand up for their own national interests as opposed to the collective interest, which mostly favored Moscow. Right. So, yeah. And and he kind of gained a little more favor by even temporarily reducing the press censorship and stopping Romania's involvement in the Warsaw pact and not taking part in the invasion of Czechoslovakia. That sort of stuff. He's gaining all kinds of favor in the West. Mm. And for some reason, I don't know why do you, why the USSR and Moscow didn't crush him then for, he was actually talking out and giving speeches like August 21st, 68, he talked out against the invasion. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure I've watched it like a brief documentary on this. I don't know if it was because it was just so difficult to invade Romania because it was 
it's like, the mountains? It's a bit like Switzerland. Yeah, it's like really difficult to invade. But also, like I, I feel like, um, you know, kind of toward the eighties onwards, and obviously we're in the seventies now. The the USSR was actually stretched thinner than it led on. Um, you know, the the kind of arms race that wasn't really an arms race, which was designed to. <laughs> they're still afraid of Vlad. Yeah, they think they're fucking vampires hiding in the mountains. That's why they didn't invade. But um, I think it's also like the inflated arms race where the Americans were like, "Yeah, we've got ten thousand nukes," and the Russians like, "Well, fuck, well, we'll get twelve thousand nukes." Then actually, we've only got a thousand. We're just trying to get you to spend yourselves into poverty. So essentially, that's that's what was going on. I think it was just that um, he also he was quite useful. And he had access to a lot of resources and he was kind of providing them with stuff. I can't remember the exact reason, but it's a combination of the USSR had other issues that they wanted to deal with. Ceausescu was kind of useful because he was supplying them with certain things. And also because it was like it would have been a nightmare to invade that many exclave communist nations that weren't part of your country. So it's like, yeah, you don't want to force another war, basically. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, so he's over there shit talking the USSR making friends with the the West and NATO mm. and pushing away from the Warsaw Pact and that's kind of when the re- real insanity kicks off as if it hasn't already um exactly Ceausescu his grand plan to boost the population which is going down at this point involves banning abortions and contraception yeah and in October of 1966 he bans them completely and it, it's one of the world's harshest anti-abortion laws that led to a spike in the number of Romanian infants being abandoned and a yep. huge spike in the country's orphanages. Yeah. I also want to point out, and this is something that my friends in America and policymakers around the world, because a couple of things I want to mention here. First of all, I went to a podcast conference in London a few months ago, and one of the things that was mentioned in the panel was that major companies had had to turn away money from evangelical Christian companies in America that were trying to get them to expose, sorry, espouse and talk about anti-abortion topics. So they were trying to pay people to talk about abortion's not a good thing, and then they've got a platform for maybe we should ban abortion. Secondly, you ban abortion, you don't ban abortion. You ban legal abortion. When you ban legal abortion, children get abandoned, there are illegal abortions, which usually end up killing the baby and the mother. And then you have um, a society which is constantly under threat. So that causes all sorts of other social problems as well. So do not ban abortion if it's already a thing in your country. It is vital to the health of women and your country overall. You ban abortion, people die and children suffer. It's that simple, really. So sorry, I'm off the soapbox now. You can please, please continue. Well, and one of the things that happened when he banned abortions in his country that Mm. is super fucking scary is that he went so far as using his secret police to investigate women who had miscarriages on the suspicion that they may have had abortion. So he was locking up women who were going through the worst fucking time of their life. That's horrible. And interrogating them. So, like, it's bad enough that people are being abandoned. There's unloved children. People are dying. It's just horrible times here because, you know, he wanted to increase the population. I know. I I feel like at this point, because of 
all of the issues he's had in his life and all the struggles and the kind of this mindset, this incredibly awful mindset. He's trying to think of ways to make himself look good. Like, oh yeah, I want to increase the population. How am I going to do that? I'm going to ban this, this, and this. I'm going to punish this person, these these groups, and I'm going to go after these people. It's like, that's not policy making. That's just punishing your population, which right. is typically what dictators tend to do anyway. But there's no positive outcome of this. You're not going to improve the, the population or your country. You're just going to cause chaos. Super short-sighted. Yeah, incredibly. And so he's playing both sides, too. He's still making friends in the U.S., but he's also cozying up to some other really cruel totalitarian dictators, and Mm. that's where he discovers it's really about that cult of personality. So he starts kicking off with things like the leader and genius of the Carpathians, and he takes that page out of the dictator handbook and takes off with it and starts cozying up to... um, uh, Where where is it at? Oh, yeah, Mao Zedong and... um kim il sung (laughs) and and he he really admires them and he thinks man there's that really great total national transformation in north korea and yeah china's cultural revolution is so amazing how many hundreds of millions of people have died we don't know but it sounds great so Yeah. yeah and it's also it's interesting that he's obviously cozying up to other fellow communists neither of these people are actual communists they are just dictators i want to point this out that when people say well communism failed we've never really had communism successfully implemented in the world because it's always just becoming a dictatorship yeah almost overnight you know there's like the idea of everyone equal redistribution of wealth and and food and power and housing but actually no it's just a dictatorship and a bunch of people suffering underneath them in a different form so, yeah. yeah, that's not what the world hasn't really seen successful communism because it's never really been implemented. I mean, I'll probably get arguments from historians about this, but in the modern era, there's not that many examples. No. So, yeah. So he's taken this trip in 1971 to China and North Korea and Mongolia and North Vietnam. Mm. He's intrigued and admires the Mao Zedong and Kim Il-sung as leaders who not only governed their countries through totalitarian methods, but they combined it with an ultra-nationalism and communism that he thought transformed them into major global powers. And that's what he wanted to do. Yeah, which makes sense. Romania has a decent geographical position and uh, the potential to become kind of a gateway between kind of asia and europe at a certain point um but yeah i think he was aiming high but he didn't know how to do it interesting point from tosasoid if you have to pay people to talk about your views chances are you don't have the moral high ground sounds kind of like um fashion influencers influences in a specific brand at the moment who i won't mention but yeah uh that's almost always the case you pay people to big you up you're probably not that great yeah Um, so on July 6, 1971, when he comes back from this trip, he gives a speech that resembles Maoism, uh, that becomes known as the July thesis. And it's, he presents these 17 proposals that include continuous growth in the leading role of the party, improvement of party education and mass political action youth participation on large construction projects as part of their patriotic work (laughs) and 
uh, let's see, an intensification of political ideological education in schools and universities, as well as in children's, youth, and student organizations, <sighs> and an expansion of political pop propaganda orienting radio and television shows to this end, as well as publishing houses, theaters, and cinemas, operas, ballets, artist unions, yeah. uh, all of that promoting militant revolutionary characters in their artistic productions. It's kind of like the, hey, we're tough. And then they also reestablished an index of banned books and authors that were condemned. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's sweeping a, reforms, sweeping reform slash the complete repression of all freedom. Now at this point, like there is nothing left. It is this guy's word or like prison camps basically is what we're saying. So, yeah. and it's only 1974 now, Jesus Christ. So he transforms his position as the president of the state council into a complete executive presidency. And he wins the first election to this, uh, this new post in 1974. Mm -hmm. And then he's continued to be reelected every five years until 1989, surprisingly reelected. Yeah. And yeah. in that position, he held all of the power to govern the nation. Yeah. yeah. And that, let's not forget his economic genius here. He's got this knack for destroying the country's economy well, over, he, over again. Yeah, and he preserved yeah. his own extravagant lifestyle, though, with his gold toilets and other ridiculous shenanigans. But under his rule, Romania became like a, a mix of absurd policies, forced mm. collectivizations, and as much as he tried to make it like a cult-like devotion to the Ceausescu family, the economic damage that he did kind of still haunts the country today. Yeah. Which sucks. Exactly. Um, There's a huge legacy which is going to take like probably the better part of a century to get rid of, really, in Romania. It's starting to happen, but um, it reminds me an awful lot of Poland, uh, Romania at the moment, where it's it's just starting to find an identity and, and a specific... I mean, Bucharest is, is beautiful. Bucharest, the city, and various other parts of, of Romania are still full of history and really beautiful and stunning, but in terms of infrastructure and and economic reforms and social reforms and stability it's going to take a very long time for romania to become a kind of a force in european politics i'm so, yeah. looking forward to getting my passport in here soon and traveling yeah. now Seeing that, shit uh, like that you know make some, make some moves free up some money and come see you guys everywhere yeah man totally. <laughs> um so where was i oh yeah his economic policies tore everything to the ground, but everything mm. comes to an end, right? His power starts to wane. Um, there's a tentative coup in October of 1984, but it failed because the military unit that was assigned to carry out the plan went to harvest maize instead. We want food, not violence. Yeah. But uh, the 14th of November, 1987, the protests began. Uh, initially, they were protesting because they wanted uh, basic needs. They wanted food and heating. They wanted their money. They wanted food for their children, medicine, mm. bread without a card. Um, mm. Things started to spiral and kind of in a twist that seems straight out of a Hollywood script. On the 21st of December, 1989, Ceausescu's own balcony speech turned into a jeering contest and his attempts to quell the crowd failed. He, yeah. he was forced to flee. 
and eventually all the major cities across the country were affected by rebellion by the morning of the 22nd. Uh, The suspicious death of Vasil Mylia, Ceausescu's defense minister, was later confirmed as a suicide on accident. Okay. What had happened was he tried to shoot himself with his assistant's pistol to get out of duty because he was against trying to put down the rebellions. Sure. But okay. the bullet caught an artery and he died. Right. So he wasn't trying to kill himself. He was trying to injure himself. Right. Right. Shoot yourself in the leg, maybe. If, I'm not or sure like, where he shot himself, but it hit an artery. And I think that where your femoral yeah. artery is. And Ah, uh, okay. So he probably did shoot himself in the leg. Then that, that makes sense. Shoot your but... foot, man. Yeah, shoot your foot or like your your love handles or something like stuff that you don't need, you know? Eat a bunch of food in the possibility that your boss might go insane and then shoot your love handles. You'll be absolutely or just fine. shoot the dick you're going up against. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just do that. That's They're about to do it anyway. Way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, just get a jump on it. Um, so in that way, though, uh, his death kind of was the straw that broke Ceausescu's back. Uh, The chaos ensued, battles raged. Ceausescu and his wife, Ellen fled by helicopter, but were eventually captured and faced a kind of tribunal that was more of a formality than anything else. And he protested the whole time that it wasn't valid because he was still president, but they were like, suck it. Um, they found, <laughs> they found him guilty of an illegal gathering of wealth. Cause like I said, he had palaces and golden toilets and yeah. people were starving in the street. They right. also convicted him, um, of genocide. Yep. Which he and did. On, and on Christmas day, December uh, 25th, 1989, they sentenced him to death. They ordered a soldier that was standing guard in the proceedings to take him outside and shoot him. And then his wife, but Ooh. They demanded that they die together, so that's exactly what happened by firing squad. And there was actually no shortage of volunteers for that job. People were, were clamoring to do it, which is just... Can, yeah, just give me a club. Can I, can I beat them to death? <laughs> so just like that, the man that once labeled himself the, the genius of the Carpathians and uh, the leader... The leader. Jesus. ...was taken out back and shot. Wow, like a rabid dog. Jesus. But uh, that's it's wow. Nikolai Ceausescu. Yeah, ah, you go. Thank you. That's it. That's the stuff. Uh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I've been kind of waiting for this one for a while because he's one of the people that we could probably like. It's an easy win for idiocy. This one, like, he is he is a monster, Nikolai yeah. Ceausescu, and certainly my memories of. Like the immediate aftermath of, Ch- of the Ceausescu regime were footage from inside the Romanian orphanages of the conditions these poor children were left in. They had no bedding, they had no clothes, they had no mattresses, they were sleeping on the floor, covered in filth, emaciated, dying, horrible conditions, all as a result of his ridiculous policies in an attempt to improve the population. What's the point of increasing the population if they're just in children's homes dying? That's just it's, completely insane. Doesn't make any sense. I think it there's just a lack of logic in a lot of like totalitarian fascist yeah. type. Well, I guess he wasn't fascist ne- necessarily, but I, I mean, mean he, he pretty much towards the end. I mean, more or less, yeah, he was the communist version of that. But the, like you said, like the insanity has taken over, 
And it does happen with a lot of people like Mao when he tried to do his reforms and killed like 60 million people because the farming reforms didn't work. People were like, hang on a minute, this is doing way more harm than good. Nah, it's fine. Don't don't worry about it. You know, um, I think this is going to be a relatively easy one because pretty much the only thing Ceausescu is remembered for positively, as far as I can tell, is that he made some interesting highways. That's pretty much it. Like he made some, some, oh, some of those roads, man, going through those mountains, man, you can drive like a lunatic on those. <laughs> so that's his only positive, um, I guess, historic legacy and certainly like gigantic housing blocks. But I'm comfortable giving Nikolai Ceausescu a 96. He wow. is. Okay. Yeah. I don't believe in the premise of good and evil. I think it's a very, simplistic approach to looking at what are actually nuanced issues but as far as dictators go Nikolai Ceausescu is one of the worst he is as close to evil as I am comfortable calling another human being it, he did so much bad and evil and wrong that actually yeah 96 is a fair score for this man and I think the thing that sucks is that just somewhere he went wrong like, yeah and if somebody would have took him aside and and prevented violence early on and mm -hmm. and preached you know peaceful protest and yeah. that sort of stuff, but I mean I know it wasn't the time. There was nothing but violence going on everywhere at that time. Yeah, um, he came up at a very violent time in human history. I also think that there is a particular thing about the early twentieth century when even you're looking at like communists and stuff because they talk about collective um power and redistribution and stuff but actually a lot of stuff that communists and fascists and and people in influence were doing like the atlas shrugged thing where it's like oh yeah we've got to look to the powerful leader we've got to look for that one defining figurehead that's going to lead us through and that one powerful but the problem is, is that communism isn't supposed to work like that you're supposed to have a bunch of qualified people in various positions to help everyone get along but that doesn't happen in the 20th century with communism. It's just a bunch of scary, crazy lunatics strong taking men. advantage of people. Strong men. Cult of yeah. personality. You mentioned it. But also, they're all underqualified, and they're all incompetent, and they're all borderline insane for the most part. So yeah. uh, there is, I mean, I am significantly more left-leaning than most people i would think and, and certainly more so than right but there is very few distinctions between a fascist dictator and a communist dictator when it comes to the damage that they cause on their countries and the people that live in their countries so yeah um just one's a little bit nicer historically because they, <laughs> they don't have boots marching or something but yeah nikolai ceausescu 96 all day long just a horrible human being. Um, well. I'd, I'd like to move on to someone who is probably, I mean, definitely an awful human being, but certainly not Ceausescu levels of insane. Um, but it's kind of one of those things where this guy, he's a, a very influential, incredibly influential musician, producer, and artist. But his dark side didn't really get known by the wider world until about 20 years ago. Okay. I'd like to tell you the story of Phil Spector, a man who completely ruined his legacy. 
So I'm trying to blank on the name, but I know the name. You'll have heard of him. Here we go. I'll tell you. Okay. Harvey Philip Spector was born on December the 26th, 1939. He later added a second I to his middle name, which he preferred over Harvey. I mean, that's probably because, like, the the film with the imaginary rabbit starring um, Jimmy Stewart, where he talks to an imaginary talking rabbit, that would have been around about Phil Spector's age. Also, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, yeah. Not good to be called Harvey around that time. Yeah, bad um, association. Bad association, for sure. Um, it's like, he, yeah, if he'd been called Phil Ceausescu Spectre, I think he probably would have changed that name too. Um, <laughs> his parents were Benjamin and Bertha Spectre, a first-generation immigrant Russian Jewish family in the Bronx, New York. And if you ever get a chance to hear Phil Spectre talk, he is the kind of the definition of that, like, Bronx Jewish family like he's got a very specific accent and as soon as you hear it you're like I know exactly like where you're from I can hear it in your voice it's really distinctive I can't do it justice and I wouldn't <laughs> want to but um, it's whenever you hear him talk you're like oh yeah you're from the Bronx and yeah definitely so Bertha his mother had been in uh, had been born in France to Russian migrants George and Clara Spectre, Spectre with a K, who brought her to America in 1911, aged nine months old, while his father, Benjamin, was born as Baruch, later changed to Benjamin, so quite a Jewish name, really, um, in the Russian Empire to George and, Bess- and Bessie Spectus, or Spectre. Yeah. So another Spectre. But not related. But, well. Maybe? But not... <laughs> Maybe, but not Spectre with a K and a T and an O-R. Spectre with a, a K, a T, uh, an R and an E. So it's like okay. sort of a coin different Spectre here. Um, and he was brought to America by his parents in 1913, age 10. So a little bit older than his, his future wife. Um, both families anglicized their names to Spectre on their naturalization papers both of which were witnessed by the same man, Isidore Spectre. So, good lord, <laughs> is this like is this like the Russian Jewish Smith? I basically yes, I think so. But also, like, it, it gets weirder. So, he is witnessing all these immigrants coming in who've got names like kind of similar, and he's just like, "You're having my name." <laughs> well, what about what about me, sir? You're having my name. Well, what about me, sir? What about this aren't you getting? You're all getting my fucking name. Just get used to it, all right? I don't know how to spell anything else. I, look, just, just spell my last name. You're fine, all right? Just shut the fuck up and take my name. You're all my children now. So uh, weird. Anyway, the similarities in name and background, because they're from the same part of the world, same surname. It's like... Mm. And similar grandfathers... Sort of maybe related, um, led Spectre to believe that his parents were possibly first cousins. Oh boy, which that's close, yeah, that's kind of close. And also, there's a lot of trauma in this family in terms of like migration. The time at which they're migrating, there are revolutions of violence happening everywhere. We're talking like the Russian Revolution, we're talking the First World War kind of a lot of persecution around Jews at this time, even before fascism really came to a thing. You know, the Jews are being persecuted that 
that's why they're fleeing to to America. Um, he also had a, a sister named Shirley, who was six years his senior. That she died in two thousand and four in Hemet, California, at the age of seventy. In April nineteen forty nine, Phil Spector's father, who was deeply in debt, committed suicide. He was ten oh. years old, Phil Spector, oh. at this point. So that'll make an impact. Yeah, early trauma, and it only kind of gets worse at home from this point. Um, in 1953, Spectre's mother moved the family to Los Angeles, where she found work as a seamstress. She worked herself night and day to get this family to a point of like kind of stability after the father had killed himself, and they like to clear the debts as well. As Phil started to come of age, and he's kind of he's kind of a small. And his 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 like uh, like uh, contemporary students would call him nerdy, okay. very awkward. Um, his mother and his sister became very controlling, and when he started dating, they would sabotage his dates through actual jealousy that he was getting attention from women other than them and giving it back in a positive way. Creepy as fuck, I know, and that's a problem for a developing boy. Yeah, what's yeah. up with this family being all in the family? I know it's kind of weird, and he's like, so let's talk about it. So his 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 father develops massive debts when he's young and kills himself when he's ten. His family moved to the West Coast, a complete culture change from the East Coast, the Bronx to L.A. Okay. It couldn't be any more different at this time. His mother is working herself to the bone, essentially leaving his sister in charge, which okay. is she's very controlling. His mother is very controlling. And when he tries to start dating as a young man or courting, they just sabotage it all the time and try and keep his attention fully on them. It's okay. weird. And it's going to yeah. warp his mind. Goodness. So, okay. Yeah. Just giving you that right out of the gate. This isn't a good start for old Philly Spectre here. Um, his sister also, unfortunately, um, it, this this whole situation with him and his mother and his sister caused a massive rift. And he started blaming them for his father's death so that's not good i mean uh, yeah you can't blame can't, for something like that. that yeah but, that's gonna like that's the kind of thing you can't ever take back saying yeah. shit like that that gets remembered forever don't say horrible stuff like that because there's never any water under the bridge when you said something that dark um unfortunately his sister would spend much of her life in and out of mental mental institutions so that plus his father's suicide seems to indicate that there's some sort of familial issues around mental illness. So it seems likely there, yeah. Yeah, especially with the whole like controlling, like they don't want him to leave the house ever. They don't want him to see other people. They don't want him to be with other women. They're controlling his every move. And these are women doing this. So this is like he's looking for a positive real male role model. He's lost his dad at the age of 10 before he really came of age. Problems here already. Anyway, Spectre attended John Burroughs Junior High School, now John Burroughs Middle School, on Wilshire Boulevard. Then in 1954, attended Fairfax High School. Having learned to play the guitar, Phil Spectre performed Rock Island Line in a talent show at Fairfax High. He joined a loose-knit community of aspiring musicians, including Lou Adler, who went on to produce and develop a number of iconic musical artists, including The Grassroots, Jan and Dean, The Mamas and Papas, and Carole King. 
And he was also one of the main producers and uh, creative forces behind the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, nice. This is the guy who was in his high school band. The next person who was in his high school band was Bruce Johnston, who went on to join the Beach Boys. Oh, holy shit. Okay. Yeah. Man, what a school. It gets even better. Uh, <laughs> Steve Douglas and Sandy Nelson, uh, two legendary session musicians, are also in the band. This school produced like the early pioneers of rock and roll. Damn. So, man, yeah. Spectre formed a group called the Teddy Bears with uh, Nelson and, and yeah, great name, <laughs> uh, and three other friends, Marshall Lieb, Harvey Goldstein, and Annette Kleinbird. Kleinbard, sorry. Uh, the band mentioned that he was incredibly socially awkward and seemed to have virtually no social skills at all and no stage presence either, so he was completely withdrawn. He wouldn't make eye contact with anyone, and he basically just wanted to rush off stage. So, Phil? Phil, yeah. Well, I couldn't he, see why that would happen. I know. He lets him go outside, and every time no. he talks to somebody, he can sabotage. I can see daylight. I need to run. Uh, that, that's. A, I mean, it's basically, he's scarred already, and he's like 17 at yeah, this point. Poor kid. Yeah. During this period, record, re, sorry, record, record producer Stan Ross, co-owner of Gold Star Studios in Hollywood, began to tutor Spectre in record production and exerted a major influence over Spectre's um, production style. In 1958, the teddy bears recorded the Spectre-penned Don't You Worry My Little Pet um, and then signed a two to three single recording deal with Era Records with the promise of more if the singles did well. At their next session, they recorded another song Spectre had written, this one inspired by the epitaph on Spectre's father's tombstone. Released on, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's dark, it's, man. <laughs> it's so dark. Um, I thought you said the dad was ten years old. No, but I mean, God, this family's so fucked up. Who knows? Um, this, uh, so it was inspired by his father's epitaph on the tombstone. Released under Era's subsidiary record, Door Records. Uh, to know him is to love him. Reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 Singles Chart on December the first, nineteen fifty-eight, selling one million copies by the end of the year he is 17 years old when he wrote this fucking song one Damn. million records <laughs> that's 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 not bad for 17 man for 17 yeah by the by the age of 18 he's had a number one he's had a, a platinum selling record at well, 18 you gotta figure, the name of the band's got to be working against him i mean yeah to sell a million records as the fucking teddy bears is like <laughs> he must be a genius if he can make that shit work um, following the, the success of their debut, the group signed with Imperial Records. Their next single, I Don't Need You Anymore, re reached number 91. They released several more singles, including an album, The Teddy Bear Sing. The Teddy Bear Sing? Well, that's a fucking terrible mm. album name. But failed to reach the top 100 in the US. I wonder why. The group <laughs> disbanded in 1959. Look, people knew this was shit back then. It's not even 1960, and they're like, shut the fuck up, nerd. Uh, while, while recording the Teddy Bears album, Spectre met Leslie Sill, a former promotion man who was a mentor to Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. Um, Sill and his partner Lee Hazelwood supported Spectre's new project, The Spectres 3, which is that a sounds slight, familiar. Yeah, it's a slight improvement on the Teddy Bears, but not by sounds much. Sounds like ghosts. 
It does, doesn't it? It's uh, it sounds like a kid's cartoon from yeah, like, the early 90s. Um, <laughs> in 1960, Sill arranged for Spectre to work as an apprentice to Lieber and Stoller in New York. Spectre co-wrote the Benny King top 10 hit Spanish Harlem with Lieber and also worked as a, ses- as a session musician playing the guitar solo on the Drifters song on Broadway. So he's still dipping his toes into recording actual music here. Um, on Broadway? Yeah, on Broadway. Yeah, it's kind of a big name single. Um, Spectre's first true recording artist uh, and project as a producer was Ronnie Crawford. Spectre uh, production work during this time included releases by Laverne Baker, Ruth Brown, and Billy Storm, as well as the Top Notes original recording of Twist and Shout. Shake it up, baby. Shake it up. Yeah, he recorded that. The original version of Twist and Shout. That's Phil Spectre. Yes. And man, that's the first of many of these. He is one of four producers in music history to have three number one singles in three separate decades. Oh, nice. And then... then, um, Lieber and Stoller recommended Spectre to produce Ray Patterson's Corrine Corina, which uh, reached number one, uh, number nine in 1961. Corrine, Corrine. Later, he produced another major hit for Curtis Lee, Pretty Little Angel Eyes, which I don't know the tune to, but it reached number seven. Um, in late 1961, Spectre formed a record company with Sill, who by this time had ended his relationship with Hazelwood. Phyllis Records, Phyllis Records, so it's P-H-I-L-L-E-S. Dude, Spectre Records. What is wrong I know, with you? It's right fucking there. <laughs> this man has terrible... He, he can't name anything. No. He might be a historian. He's that bad at naming <laughs> things. Um, so Phyllis Records combined the first names of the two founders. Through Hill and Range Publishers, Spectre found three groups he wanted to produce. The Ducanes? Ducanes? I don't know. The Creations... And the biggest one of all, the Crystals. The first two signed with other companies, but Spectre managed to secure the Crystals for his new label. Their first single, There's No Other, Like My Baby, was a success, hitting number 20. This is all like the same kind of like love, schmaltzy, early 60s garbage. But like, these girls... He's I know. <laughs> and he's like, do you realize how bad this sounds? They also produced um, Uptown, which was quite a big single, but made it to number 13 with the song The Do Ron 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 The Do Ron Ron. Uh, that was so successful that they got to tour with The Beatles. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's, that's big. I know. They've landed in America and you're touring with The Beatles. And this is where he meets John Lennon, Paul McCartney, and George Harrison, who are going to be incredibly influential figures, not just to the world of music, but to Phil Spector's future career prospects. Um, Spectre continued to work freelance with other artists in 1962. He produced Second Hand Love by Connie Francis. That's not a song about masturbation, which featured, <laughs> which reached number seven, Armet Artigan of Atlantic Records, one of the most important figures in music history, paired Sp- Phil Spectre with future Broadway star Gene Deshawn for Talk to Me, the B side of which was Tired of Trying, written by Deshawn. In 1962, um, Spectre briefly took an A&R job with Liberty Records. It was while working at Liberty that he heard a song written by Gene Pitney, for whom he'd produced a number 41 hit, Every Breath I Take, a year earlier. He's a Rebel was due to be released by Liberty by Vicky Carr, 
but Spectre rushed into Gold Star Studios and recorded a cover version during Darlene Love and the Blossoms on lead vocals. The record was released by his company, attributed to the Crystals, and quickly rose to number one on the charts. So, second number one hit. Because he, he stole just it. Snake it? Yeah. Yeah, he just okay. stole it. <laughs> He's like, you haven't signed a fucking deal yet. I'm taking that. So, yeah, slightly underhanded, but he's a record producer at this point. He's doing record producer kind of things, being a shitbag. Yeah. So, you know. That's record producer is hell. Yeah, that's like, <laughs> welcome to the record industry, pal. Like that sort of twirling <laughs> the cigar and like a, an evil laugh. Yeah, it's that sort of behavior. Um, so by the time that was number one, Lester Sill was out of the company. Phil Spector bought him out. He'd made enough money to be free and clear, the only person behind the record label. And he didn't, he still didn't change it to Spectre Records, which, huh. what the fuck are you doing with your life? Um, so he created a new act, Bob B. Socks, which is, oh, what a name. Bob B. Socks, Socks as in S O double X. Fuck me. Um, oh, boy. Bob B. Socks and the Blue Jeans featuring Darlene Love, Fanita James, a member of the Blossoms, and Bobby Sheen, a singer he had worked with at Liberty. The group had hits with um, Zippity Doodah. Oh boy. Why Do Lovers Break Each Other's Hearts? Number 38. Not Too Young to Get Married. That's dark. Don't write a song called that. Number 63. No, not too young to get married. Parentheses in Alabama. Um, Spectre also <laughs> also released solo material by Darlene Love in 1963. In the same year, he released "Be My Baby" by the Ronettes, uh, another act he was managing at the time, which went to number two. He eventually married Veronica Bennett, the lead singer of Ronettes. She's going to be a very important person in the story. We'll come back to her in a second. Okay. Uh, Toastazoid. There are names that I can only imagine being musicians yet. We're about to get to more important names. I promise you there's bigger names coming and much bigger achievements as well. Like This is the point at which Phil Spector hits his stride. So... We've got I just realized that he could have named that Phyllis Records Syphilis Records if he was <laughs> mashing them together. That would have been amazing. <sighs> Phil Spector Syphilis Records. Uh, no, Tosazoid, not, not that guy. Uh, not quite. Not quite. Uh, the, first Spectre, the first time Spectre put the same amount of effort into an LP as he did into 45s, was when he used, uh, utilized the full Phyllis roster and the Wrecking Crew, which were um, session musicians, to make what he felt would become a hit for 1963 Christmas season. A Christmas Gift for You from Phyllis Records was released a few days after the assassination of President Kennedy in November 1963. So that's, that's not going to help. That's, oh. No one's buying records at this time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably a lull. Probably a bit of a bad time to be selling records when the president's just had his brains blown out through a car. Um, on September the 28th, 1963, the Ronettes appeared at the Cow Palace near San Francisco, a legendary venue that the Cow Palace. Middle of fucking nowhere, impossible to get to, but man, the acoustics in that place are incredible. Um, also on the bill that night were the Righteous Brothers. Oh, nice. Spect yes, Spectre, who was conducting uh, the band for all the acts, was so impressed by Bill Medley and Bobby Hatfield that he bought their contract from Moonglow Records and signed them to Phyllis that night. He's like, I have big plans for you. Nothing bad ever happens to the Kennedys. 
<laughs> one, one of the most Schwarzenegger. So yeah, I guess so. Uh, during this time, he created. Um, this is where it gets really, really interesting. He creates the Wall of Sound, which okay. has become the stuff of legend in in the music industry. It's also called the Spectre Sound, which is actually just as good of a name. That to is be honest, a good but name. that is a good name. But the Wall of Sound is really impressive, and it's it's actually a very good descriptor of what happens. Uh, the music it's a music production formula developed by Phil Spector at Gold Star Studios in the 1960s with the assistance of engineer Larry Levine and the conglomerate of session musicians later known as the Wrecking Crew. So he formed these musicians because they were very good at doing a very specific sound. And um, the intention was to exploit the possibilities of the studio recording environment to create an unusually dense orchestral aesthetic that came across uh, well through radios and jukeboxes of the era, Spectre explained in 1964, and I'm not going to do the voice, um, yeah. I was looking for a sound, a sound so strong that if the material was not the greatest, the sound would carry the record. See, that's hence the wall of sound. Like, it can be shit. It's a bit like the Michael Bay formula, right? So you, like, you have no script. You have yeah. no story. But you got a bunch of amazing effects, so it carries the feature. Yeah, more um, like T with auto tune. Exactly. Like I can't write music, but I can auto tune my voice. Uh, do, sorry, Kimberly, do the voice, do the voice, do the voice. Um, I'll try. Um, let me see. I was looking for a sound that sounds so strong. Like that's how he sounds towards <laughs> the end. So I can't. I'm sorry. That was really bad. You'll get other voices. I promise. You'll get other voices. Um. I was looking for a sound so strong uh, that it would carry the record even if it was weak. It was a case of augmenting and augmenting. It all fitted together like a jigsaw. Um, among other features of the sound, Spectre in uh, incorporated an array of orchestral instruments, strings, woodwind, brass, and percussion, not previously associated with youth-orientated music. So he's taking the big band stuff and the Sinatra-level stuff, and he's bringing it to, like, modern pop music but also he's not just doing like an orchestra he's overlaying on top of itself so he's using these orchestras but he's making them like four orchestras deep so it becomes like you're in a giant concert hall which is yeah. a really clever idea and actually as, as a lot of people have pointed out um he used reverb as well uh from an echo chamber which was highlighted to add additional texture to the music and he wanted it to feel wagnerian as in wagner the musician who was a horrible person and a massive anti-semite um approach to rock and roll little symphonies for kids was his specific phrase he also became known as the auteur the first auteur of pop music um a combination of large ensembles with reverberation effects also increased the average audio power in a way that resembled compression. This man invented compression. By 1979, the use of compression had become common in the radio industry, making the trend that led to the loudness wars of the 1980s. This man invented loud music. So well, that's, okay. well, that's kind of impressive. You're, he's not going to score very high now. Well, wait. <laughs> Next thing. So he's now on with um, the Righteous Brothers. And in early 1965, You've Lost That Loving Feeling became the label's second number one single. Three more major hits with the duo followed. Just Once in My Life, which is kind of well known. You might have heard of the next one, 
Unchained Melody, which reached oh, number four. Um, originally the B-side, I know, and Ebb Tide. Despite having hits, he lost interest in producing the Righteous Brothers and sold their contract and all of their master recordings to Verve Records. However, the sound of the Righteous Brothers single was so distinctive that the act chose to replicate it after leaving Spectre, notching up a second number one hit in 1966 with the Bill Medley-produced You're My Soul and Inspiration. I just want to point out, Unchained Melody is one of the most successful love songs of all time. It's hit number one multiple times, and every time that's happened, he's had credit and money for it. Also, You've Lost That Loving Feeling, I didn't know this until I did the research, was the most played American radio and television song of the 20th century. It's been played more than 8 million times between the time it was released and the year 2000. Top Gun. Crazy. Yeah, it was Top Gun. Top Gun. Yeah. Exactly. Like every now and then someone will bring it back. Unchained Melody was the one in Ghost, right? That was it. Yeah, that was the one yeah. where they're at the clay thing. Yeah. And like that's been number one. But also that's been re-recorded by like eight, nine, ten different people. Like, and every single time that gets to number one with a different person. Phil Spector gets a pocket load of money because he's the producer of it and he co-wrote it. Same thing with You've Lost That Loving Feeling. These wow. songs made him like godly but wealthy. He bought a place, called it the castle. It's like an, a, a 38 room mansion in Beverly Hills. The man had money to burn after this, but it's only just getting started because during this period, um, Spectre formed another subsidiary, Fiden Records, partly created to keep promoter Danny Davis occupied. The label released singles by Betty Willis, The Lovelets, uh, Love Lights, sorry, and The Iquettes. Never heard of any of them. Well, The Iquettes were the support band for, um, uh, what's his name? I'm going to get to him in a bit. Tina Turner. Oh, and, okay. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. We'll get to that. Oh, man, that horrible man uh none of the recordings of Fiden were produced by specter the recording of unchained melody credited on some releases as specter production although bill medley has consistently said that he didn't have anything to do with it even though he's got writing credits on it uh familiar wilson's thank you for joining us ike turner is about to appear in this story thankfully not for too long so we don't have to stick around for that um as an album track and had a second wave of popularity 25 years later, as we've just mentioned after its initial release, when it's featured prominently in the 1990 hit film Ghost. Um, as a re-release of the single recharted on the Billboard Hot 100 and went in one of the uh, went in at number one on the adult content contemporary charts, this also put Phil Spector back on the US top 40 charts for the first time since his last appearance in 1971, when he helped produce and release john lennon's imagine oh yeah oh, so man. he's now in with the beatles man he's just so killing it unchained melody top three most successful love songs of all time you've lost that loving feeling the most played radio and television song in america of the 20th century and john lennon's imagine which has been number one multiple times Oh, he yeah. just can't stop with the hits. Not no. even a little bit. 
Not even, slightly. Um, his final signing uh, to Phillies was the husband and wife duo of Ike and Tina Turner in April 1966. Spectre considered the single River Deep Mountain High his best work, but it failed to reach any higher than number 88 in the United States. The record, which uh, actually featured Tina Turner without Ike Turner, was successful in Britain, reaching number three. We've always loved Tina Turner over here and also hated Ike Turner because he's an absolute scumbag. Um, so, yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Um, the deal did not materialize. He was trying to sell uh, fillers to AM Records, and Spectre subsequently lost enthusiasm for his label and the recording 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 industry same in america yes kimberly yes i don't think many people like ike turner at this point um already something of a recluse he withdrew temporarily from the public eye marrying veronica ronnie bennett the lead singer of the ronette specter sort of semi-retires at this point but did really return to produce the last beatles album called let it be okay so specter's uh let it be was it basically they they fell apart when they were making this album. They broke up. There was a bunch of unfinished tracks. And Phil Spector was brought in by George Harrison and John Lennon to basically master the record and make it into something worthwhile. And his first contribution is to is to take the long and winding road and to just add a shitload of orchestra to it. So when you hear that thing and it comes in. Ba, 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 at least to your door and then it goes in that's phil specter he's added masses of orchestra to it and that pissed off paul mccartney something rotten because paul mccartney wanted a simple stripped back song and here's oh, phil specter with like a million orchestras coming in Yikes. so yeah um <laughs> several music critics also maligned specter's work on let it be but he later attributed this partly to resentment that an american produced um, a producer appeared to be taking over such a popular English band. I don't think that's the case. I think maybe no. they just didn't like your style of music at that point, but hey. Probably. You know, I yeah. think that Paul McCartney has a completely different taste in music than the rest of his band, almost. I think so. Paul McCartney is a weird case because he's actually a, he is a genius. Like The word genius gets thrown around a lot. McCartney and Lennon were geniuses. He dreamed music. That's a sign of a genius. But he would either write a brilliant song or absolute garbage. <laughs> like the frog song and stuff. Like even even Mull of Kintyre, which is a hugely successful song for Wings. Um, and it was number one for like 12 weeks or something. Like it was crazy. And the reason he says, oh, it's because I spent a lot of time on the island of Mull and the Mull of Kintyre is such an amazing part of Scotland. If you look at a map of Scotland, you'll see why he called it Mull of Kintyre, because the Mull of Kintyre looks like a giant penis. So, <laughs> that's why he did it, really. That's funny. Dick joke. <laughs> yeah, he did. So McCartney either produces brilliance or like not great stuff at all. Like even like Paul McCartney's Live and Let Die um, has got a, a part in the song where the lyrics say, in this ever-changing world in which we live in. That's four ins in one fucking sentence, Paul. <laughs> You're no lyricist. Leave that to John, for Christ's sake. Um, have you listened to Let It Be Naked, where Paul stripped out all of the spectre? No, I haven't. I didn't even know that existed. Wow. Uh, I have to go back and listen to that now. 
I just like the wording on that. That's awesome. Let it be. Dot 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 naked. Yeah. I just know Paul McCartney is the guy that wrote um what is it? Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Boom, 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 boom. And it's a song about him like seducing the queen. It's really fucking weird. But uh, <laughs> it's just like a throwaway thing. So yeah, um, I kind of it's a bit of a you know, I actually like the long and winding road. I don't mind the orchestral instruments, but yeah, it's become an iconic song largely because of Phil Spector even though Paul McCartney hated it. But John Lennon, George Harrison, were totally on his side because they were, why wouldn't they be at this point? They fucking hated each other. So, um, yeah, Lennon defended Spectre, telling Jan Wenner of the Rolling Stone, uh, I'm going to try and do a John Lennon. Um, it was given a, a shitty, the shittest load of loud, badly recorded shit with a lousy feeling to it. He made something out of it. He did a good job. That, that's not very good, John Lennon. That was, I should have worked a, better well, than I can. Should have gone, it should have gone like this and done a John Lennon like that. That's so stereotypical. It's that's pretty close. That's, it's I, all right. I think I like the first one better. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, so Spectre <laughs> went on to work with George Harrison's album, All Things Must Pass. Um, John Lennon's single, Power to the People, which is that's like a really good single. <laughs> really straightforward just power to the people okay uh, yeah yeah and Suck titles yeah straight away uh, that's like confirmation that he's basically a communist at that point um yeah and he also went on to produce the harrison organized concert for bangladesh the album the live album of that went triple platinum so oh. all of Damn. the money went to bangladesh uh support relief but that's like another feather in his cap he's produced all these amazing things however as the 70s progress um well that didn't work <laughs> yeah anywhere anywhere it's worth it's worth a listen yeah it didn't work sadly bangladesh still kind of fucked um as the 1970s progressed specter became incre increasingly reclusive the most probable and significant reason for his withdrawal according to his biographer dave thompson was the 19 was in 1974 when he had a serious injury when he was thrown through the windscreen of his car in a crash in Hollywood. And this is like, yeah, he's like getting on in years at this point, and he's a small guy, and he was flung from his car. He was almost killed, and it was only because the attending police officer um, detected a faint pulse that Spectre was not declared dead at the scene. Fuck. Yeah, well, I mean, going through the front window there. That'll do it. You know, yeah, ouch. Um, he was not declared dead at the scene. He was admitted to UCLA Medical Center on the night of March 31st, suffering serious head injuries that required several hours of surgery with over 300 stitches to his face and more than wow. 400 to the back of his head. Basically, oh Darth Vader at this point. His Fuck. Skin came off his head. Basically, yeah. I never, I never knew that. Dr. J, yes. I didn't know that until watching this either. Um, that's the most stitches I've ever heard one human being have in like one sitting like 700 if a, stitches. If they were in a zipper. He just split Pretty open. Much. Basically. Yeah. But like in multiple different angles, kind of like pinhead oh. thing going on. That's just really Goodness. disturbing. 700 stitches to his face and head, not the rest of his body, just one part of it. Fuck me. No wonder he looks like messed up later on. Like you see later pictures of Phil Spector. He has on the most horrific wigs you've ever seen in your life almost like he's doing it out of comedy because they're so ridiculous like your hair looks nothing like that come on now phil just giant fucking afros and stuff 
You can't have a seventy year old man. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta make it work. Yeah. Um, it's gonna be goofy and kooky. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna own this. Um his head injuries, Thompson suggested, were the reason that Spectre began his habit of wearing outlandish wigs in later years. Yeah, that'll be it. Um he went on to work with Cher, Leonard Cohen, Bob Dylan, and the Ramones but he became more and more erratic and difficult to work with. Spectre remained inactive through most of the 1980s, 90s, and early 2000s. However, in early 1981, shortly after the death of John Lennon, he temporarily re-emerged to, repro- uh, to co-produce Yoko Ono's Season of Glass album, sort of like help her out, I think, because she's mourning. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he it spent- was the Ramones that, that got him out of control. That's what it was. I, well... <laughs> Well, he was kind of out of control before he oh, worked yeah. with the Ramones. I'll talk to you. I'll tell you about that in a second. Um, in 1989, Tina Turner inducted Spectre into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a non-performer, which you know, I mean, that's, that does happen. Uh, Rolling Stone reported that Spectre hit the stage, bopping madly to the strains of the Ronettes' "Be My Baby," flanked by three beefy bodyguards who practically elbowed Tina Turner out of the way. I don't think she needs that in her life after the shit that Ike Turner did to her. No. Um, he, he mumbled a few incoherent words about George H.W. Bush and the presidential inauguration, and then his bodyguards lifted him up and carried him off the stage. So it's like, well, we've got to protect this guy from himself. Let's get him the fuck away from this microphone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, he spent a lot of time alone. He's been in a massive car accident, and you've put him in front of a live microphone. You better have quick, like hands at that point to grab him and take him off stage um he was inducted into the songwriters hall of fame in 1997 and he uh received the grammy trustees award in 2000 in 1994 specter wrote a letter to uh the rock and roll hall of fame's nominating committee to oppose the ronettes being considered for induction he argued that the group were not a proper recording act and did not contribute enough to music to merit an induction the Ronettes were eventually inducted into the hall, but not until 2007. He's sabotaging oh. someone he worked with. Um, that's not a good look, Phil. The Ronette? He was working against the Ronette? Yeah. Was he we'll married understand. to a Ronette? Yeah. We'll, we'll okay. get to that now. Uh, <laughs> he attempted to work with Celine Dion on her album Falling Into You, but fell out with her production team. There'll be a reason for that as well. Um, his last released project was Silence is Easy by Star Sailor, British indie band in 2003. I cannot stress enough, it's a fucking epic song, uh, Silence is Easy, and it's typical Phil Spector. It starts here, lays out the path, builds and builds and builds and builds and builds, and it's just by the end, you're like, this is epic indie music. Hmm, then, what's this? There might be more to that given a personal relationship. Well, yeah, I mean, bitter about the ex-wife. Um, bitter about specific reasons why she's his ex-wife. We'll, we'll explain that. Again, I promise it's all on the way because we've not got to the bad parts yet. Um, well, not enough of them anyway. So Star Sailor, <laughs> Silence is Easy. Give it a listen. I cannot stress enough how good it is. The, um, the lead singer said, uh, sorry, also, I want to point out, he was originally supposed to produce the entire album, but he was fired because stuff happened. We'll Uh-oh. get to that. The lead singer said of Phil Spector, he's all, <laughs> this is the most backhanded compliment. It's the most perfect backhanded compliment I've ever heard in my life. He's a one-trick pony. 
but that one trick is fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like he can do the wall of sound, but it's amazing. So, wow. But if you don't need it, he kind of sucks. If, yeah, if you don't like orchestral music, then fuck it. Um, so according to guitarist Z Van Zandert of the E Street Band, so that's um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good backhanded compliment. Um, yeah, so of the E Street Band, Spectre was a genius, irredeemably conflicted. On Twitter, he wrote, "Spectre was the ultimate example of the art always being better than the artist." Here's your warning shot of what's to come. He made some of the greatest records in history based on the salvation of love, while remaining incapable of giving or receiving love his entire life. So, oh, yeah, childhood stuff. Childhood trauma. Spectre's first marriage was in 1963. 63? <laughs> to uh, Annette, I'm Annette. wearing off on you. It's, it's Sunday night. <laughs> um, to Annette Mera, lead vocalist of the Spectre's Three, a 1960s pop trio who we formed. We spoke about them earlier. He named record company after Mera Annette Records. Spectre and Mera divorced in 1966. While still married to Mera, he began an affair with Ronnie Bennett, later known as Ronnie Spectre. Bennett was the lead singer of the girl group, the Renettes. They married in 1968 and adopted a son, Dante Philip Spector, as a Christmas present. Phil surprised her by adopting twins, Louis Philip Spector and Gary Philip Spector. So, happy Christmas. Here's some children. That's not a puppy. Yeah. I even I mean, don't, don't even do that with a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> what the? Okay. Just, buy some jewelry or art or yeah. an experience don't bring a fucking child wrapped in a box into the room christ Did he put him in a box no i <laughs> just i'm elaborating but i wouldn't put it past him at this point he was strange sad angry little man he was so kids live forever uh, that's a good line. Um, so they um, in her 1990 memoirs this is where it gets sad. Be my baby. How I survived mascara, miniskirts, and madness. Ronnie Bennett alleged that Spectre had imprisoned her in his California mansion and subjected her to years of psychological torment. According to Bennett, Spectre sabotaged her career by forbidding her to perform. She escaped from the mansion barefoot with the help of her mother in 1972 in their 1974 divorce settlement she forfeited all future recording earnings and surrendered custody of their children she alleged that she did this because phil specter threatened to hire a hitman to kill her and even threatened to shoot her himself there's a theme development yeah and now let's get to the rest of it um, Spectre's sons, Gary and Dante, both stated that their father kept them captive as children and that they were forced to perform simulated intercourse with his girlfriend. He abused both of his children and Dante described himself as coming from a very sick, twisted and dysfunctional family. Later, other women accused him of violence and death threats, including British pianist Devra Robitaille, who said he once threatened her with a gun when she tried to leave his home. This got dark quick. Jesus, dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's about to get weirder. Uh, <sighs> or darker as well, but weirder. Um, 
Can I still would... like the Beatles music and shit though? You can love the Beatles music because Phil Spector, most of that is George Martin. I want to say okay. most of that stuff is produced by George Martin. He only came in on Let It Be. The rest of it, all George Martin and the Beatles. All well, of that we... stuff. Unchained Melody, can I still listen to that? You can still listen to Unchained Melody. You can yeah. still listen to You've Lost That Loving Feeling. You can still listen to Imagine. He was the producer. He has some writing credit on it, but he is not the man that comes up with this stuff. He okay. just I'm still mad I can't watch Dogma because of Harvey Weinstein. Every yeah. time you watch Dogma, that son of a bitch gets paid. I know. That fucking film is amazing. Um, don't worry. he is, He's not okay. going to be around much longer. Um, it would later come out that Phil Spector had pulled a gun on... John Lennon in 1973, Leonard Cohen in 1978, Debbie Harry in 1979, oh, Dee Dee Ramone. Like his ass kicked. I know. <laughs> she didn't beat the shit out. Dee Dee Ramone in 1979, when he tried to leave the recording studio. Star Sailor said that he pulled a gun on them back in 2003. Celine Dion's people, he threatened them with violence. Jesus, and course, he's like Suge Knight. He's allegedly Knight. only t no Suge Knight's no alleged about it. Like, that <laughs> motherfucker had guns, and also, like, he's like Suge Knight, only a third his size. You know, this uh. is a tiny human being. Um, and of course, his ex wife he pulled a gun on her like months after they got married and oh. basically threatened to shoot her multiple times while they were living together. How tall was he? He's five foot four. Oh, good god, he's the size of my daughter. He's small, he was a small little man yeah i think a lot of that might have been down to malnourishment in fairness because he the family were incredibly poor when he was young so i suppose well yeah i suppose that's true yeah, yeah. Um, he's going downhill from here boy how is he going downhill um so and this is the big one on february the 3rd 2003 phil Spector shot actress lana clarkson in the mouth while in his mansion the pyrenees castle in Alhambra, California. Her body was found slumped in a chair with a single gunshot wound to her mouth. Speck told Esquire in 2003 that Clarkson's death was an accidental suicide that she kissed the gun. That oh, doesn't happen. God. I know. Lana Clarkson, uh, kind of quite famous B-movie actress. She was, um, she was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and she had a blink-and-you'll-miss-it part in, like, uh, Scarface, but she did a bunch of um, oh, what's that terrible uh, Roger Corman films? She did a bunch of terrible oh, like Cry Baby and yeah, all of that shit. She was the big boobed blonde. Like yeah. if if um, Ed Wood or Alfred Hitchcock had still been alive, they'd have been like you know Hitchcock. Look, look. I've hired this blonde woman because she's very talented and she has enormous breasts. <laughs> like it would have been, but Hitchcock would have been all over her. But she was coming to middle age, and she was trying to get back in the limelight. She was working at, um, uh, what's his name, Dan Aykroyd's bar, the Blues thing. Blues I can't Brothers remember. One? It's something like that. Like it's a bar House he Blues. owns, House of Blues. There you go. Yeah, she was working there, and she bumped into this person with a weird wig this tiny person with a little wig on and he said I have a reservation and he went oh yes Phil Spector oh Miss Miss Spector will you come this way like, I'm not a miss I'm a man damn it it's Phil <laughs> not Phyllis that's literally the conversation they had oh goodness and, and he eventually 
after being an arsehole to her, um, they became friends. She came around to his house and she wanted to revive her career. She wanted to see if there were opportunities and he got her drunk. He filled her with a bunch of prescription medication and then shot her. Same, he had a bunch of shit in his system as well. He was known to be an alcoholic and had constantly done massive amounts of drugs, particularly things like Vicodin and stuff. Yeah. So press I, X. Why don't I death. remember hearing about this? Uh, well, it went what on the hell for. What was I doing in 2003? I mean, there was a lot going on. We were still all processing 9 11, you know, so. Maybe yeah. was that. Oh god, that was Iraq. Yeah, that was it. That's why there was a sh- there was that going on at the same time. So uh, the emergency call from Spectre's home, made by Spectre's driver Adriana de Souza, quotes Spectre as saying, "I think I killed somebody." Oops. Um, de Souza added that he saw Spectre come out of the back door of the house with a gun in his hand. I mean, god. this isn't looking good. Your driver is immediately like. Uh, this guy probably shot someone. Uh, and yeah, I'm amazed he wasn't gunned down, to be honest, by the time the police arrived, because you know you're arriving to a house with a crazy person with a gun. Um, I guess he's rich and white, so they're not going to immediately shoot him. But, you know, he's small um, and hard to hit, too, though. Yeah, he is a, a moving target. Um, we also anticipated the release of the original Resident Evil 4. Yes, that's true. That was what people were focused on in 2003. True. Certainly with me. He did look some like someone's old around. He really did. Um, Spectre, this is unbelievable. This next part just blows my mind. Spectre remained free on $1 million bail. $1 million? Uh, while awaiting trial. In the meantime, Spectre produced singer-songwriter Hargo Kalsa's track, known professionally as Hargo, Crying for John Lennon, uh, which originally appeared in Hargo's 2006 album, In Your Eyes. Can you imagine killing someone in your home being found with a murder weapon in your hand and then continuing to work while you're awaiting a trial for murder. No, I don't imagine that I would get out. How does that happen? Oh yeah, that's right, because he's wealthy and influential. That's how it happens. Um, On a visit to Spectre's mansion for an interview for the Lenin tribute film Strawberry Fields, Hargo played Spectre the song and asked him to produce it. On March the 19th, 2007, Spectre's murder trial began presiding judge Larry Paul Fiddler, great name, um, allowed the proceedings in Los Angeles Superior Court to be televised. Big mistake, because this destroys any credibility Phil Spector has, but also the judicial process, because people are immediately judging this. And Phil Spector looked weird in court. He just had on like a different wig every day. He barely blinked. He was like a ghost at this point. It was... (laughs) Was uh, he a Spector? He was a specter. He was Casper, the unfriendly, angry, gun-toting ghost. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, this, let's see. Um, yeah, and on September the 26th, Fiddler declared a mistrial because of a hung jury, 10 to 2, for conviction. So only t- two people wouldn't convict. I, I don't know. Maybe they were hypnotized by the Whigs. Who knows why they didn't convict? Um, every time the camera cuts back to him, he's got a different wig on. <laughs> Dude, that would be I an mean, amazing shit. That would be so good. Um, so um, the same month, Spectre attended the funeral of Ike Turner. Uh, <sighs> In I his just realized years... I made a really dark Saturday Night Live joke. Sorry. Oh, yeah. no, no, that's, that's great. That's really good. I love that. Um, so Spectre, in his eulogy, Spectre criticized Ike Turner by, uh, sorry, 
Spectre criticised Tina Turner's autobiography and its subsequent promotion by Oprah Winfrey as a badly written book that demonised and vilified Ike, probably because he was a terrible human being, Phil. Yeah. Awful. Could have had had something to do with it, maybe. Yeah, Uh, exactly. (laughs) Toastazoid is coming with the singers tonight, I swear to God. (laughs) Um, Spectre commented that Ike made Tina the jewel she was, when I went to see Ike play at the Singral in the 90s, there were at least uh, five Tina Turners on the stage performing that night, and any of them could have been the real Tina Turner. This man is a piece of shit. You know, he may have had the wall of sound, but he was shit at naming bands, and yeah. obviously he was shit at uh, judging Human. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at just at humaning. humaning. Yeah. Yes, he was a shit at humaning. Uh, good point. He would be on Ike's side. Yeah, he's the kind of person that would be on Ike Turner's side. I, I'd imagine if Ike Turner were around and alive today and some sort of social media influencer, he'd have Andrew Tate's following immediately, pretty much. Um, during the conversation, images from the murder court case are juxtaposed with live appearances of his tracks. Uh, sorry, I, I, I should I'd go back. I've missed a bit here. In mid to April 2008, BBC2 broadcast a special titled Phil Spector, The Agony and the Ecstasy by Vikram Yojanti. Um, It consists of Spector's first screened interview, breaking a long silence uh, with the media. During the conversation, images from the murder court case are juxtaposed with his live performances of tracks on television programs from the 1960s and 70s, along with the subtitles giving critical interpretations of some of the song's production value. That's so weird. While he does not directly try to clear his name, the court case proceedings shown try to give further explanation of the facts surrounding the murder charges leveled against him. He also speaks about the musical instincts that led him to create some of his most enduring hit singles, from You've Lost That Love of Feeling to River Deep Mountain High, as well as Let It Be, along with the criticisms he's had throughout his life. The retrial, so they're, they're doing like documentaries about him while he's like waiting for a retrial. The retrial is murder. murdering a woman with a gun. Like, this is cut and dry, people. The retrial of Spectre for murder in the second degree. Second degree began on October the 20th, 2008, with Judge Fiddler again presiding. That's a great name. I just can't can't get away with Judge Fiddler. (laughs) The retrial was not televised, thank Christ. Spectre was once again represented by attorney Jennifer Lee Barringer. The case went to the jury on March 26, 2009, and 18 days later, on April 13th, the jury returned a guilty verdict there judge, you go judge t fiddler yeah basically um the case went to yeah i've already said that additionally specter was found guilty of using an uh, a firearm in the commission of a crime which added four years to his sentence he was i mean yeah he shot someone <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was sentenced to uh, sorry I just want to point this out. He was immediately taken into custody. None of okay. that, like, you've got a year to get your shit together that they do with financial criminals, like yeah. the last guy we covered. Yeah. Like, he was immediately taken to prison. Like, we don't want you out. Even though you're five foot four, you're fucking dangerous, man. You might shoot somebody in the face. God knows. Um, he was sentenced to 19 years to life in the California state prison system. Various attempted appeals were unsuccessful in 2011, 2012, and 2016. Finally, yes, 
Exactly, Kimberly. Spectre justified in a 2005 court deposition that he had been treated for bipolar disorder, manic depression, for eight years, saying no sleep, uh, depression, mood changes, mood swings, hard to live with, hard to concentrate, just hard. A hard time getting through life. I've been called a genius, and I think a genius is not there all the time and has borderline insanity. It's really nice of him to bring up that people have called him a genius. Like, isn't that good to remind people that he might be a genius? Humble brag. Yeah, no, humble brag. People call me a genius, you know. But also, I'm kind of mad. Um, in the first criminal trial for the Clarkson murder, defense expert and forensic pathologist Vincent DeMaio said that Spectre might be suffering from Parkinson's disease. Look at Mr. Spectre. He has Parkinson's features. He trembles. The thing is... Phil Spector had been an alcoholic for like 45, 50 years at this point, and he was on massive of prescription-like drugs. So yeah. that could well be him tweaking or like withdrawing or yeah, something. Yeah, you get the shakes, so, you get the DTs. Yeah, he's like, he's, what's the word? There's a word for it. I can't remember what it is in this country. Um, rattling? He's rattling yeah. at this point because he's either withdrawing or he's high on a cocktail of drugs. Um, same stuff that was in his system when he shot Lana Clarkson, and also in her system because he drugged her, essentially. Can yeah. afford the you know, Department of Corrections photos from 2013, released in September of 2014, show evidence of a progressive deterioration in Spectre's health, according to observers. Well, I mean, duh, he's an old man in prison. They die quickly, unfortunately. It's, it's sad, but it happens. Um, he's been an inmate at the Californian Health... Uh, healthcare facility, a prison hospital in Stockton since 2013. In September 2014, he was reported that Spectre had lost his ability to speak owing to laryngeal papillomatosis. Damn. Yeah. Um, he was taken to San Joaquin General Hospital in French Camp, California on December the 31st, 2020 and intubated on January 2020, in January 2021, Spectre died in an outside hospital on January the 16th at the age of 81, according to the California Department of Corrections Rehabilitation. Spectre's daughter, Nicole, attributed her father's death to the complications of COVID-19, which he was diagnosed with in December 2020. He would, he would have been eligible for parole in 2024, I don't think he'd, he's making it to 2024. How old would he be in 2024? He would have been like 85. There's no oh. fucking way. Yeah. It, you like, I'm sorry. I know prison, like a life is life stuff. You know, he was looking at 19 years in prison and he got 19 years in prison. But if you go into prison when you're over 70, I don't care how short your sentence is. If it's over five years, you're probably dying in prison because the conditions are so poor. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, it's yeah for sure it's yeah it's, it's you're tough. either getting stabbed or you're dying very quickly because people age fast in prison they really do close quarters and communicable disease is yeah. a thing and, and bad also nutrition terrible yeah. nutrition lack of exercise mental health issues you know increasing breakdown of the bodily systems and stuff and no access to proper medical treatment people die very quickly in prison when they're old 
um, some media outlets that reported on Spectre's death were subject to controversy for repeatedly playing down his murder conviction. Examples given were the obituaries in the New York Times and Rolling Stone, which originally stated respectively that Spectre's legacy, legacy was marred by a murder conviction and that his life was upended. Um, yeah, after being sentenced. These obituaries were revised following a media backlash. I wonder why. Uh, you know how you don't mar your legacy with a murder conviction? Yeah, you know, it's hot. Don't uh, shoot but, people in the face! Death. He he shot someone in the face, and, you know, it was a bit of a problem for a while there at the end, you know. But music was nice. Yeah. Um, Jesus Christ. So, I mean... It's a dark one. I mean, I did say to you before the recording, I, people weren't privy to this, but I was like, it's interesting, but dark. Um, yeah. yeah. And it was like, for a while, you were like, okay, just a music producer kind of being a bit dodgy, but then, fuck me. So what do you think of Phil Spector? Oh, man. Like, I don't... Obviously, he got messed up early and that trauma... Yeah. That's the early trauma is another big part of this. You know? I want to say like the life that you're trained is kind of like something that sticks with you. And I think yeah. if you're trained with controlling and crazy stuff like that, it, it's going to stick with you. And if he had those sure. mental health issues, but I mean, he did have all kinds of opportunities and all of the yeah. money that he could possibly have needed to sit and talk with people and maybe get on the right drugs instead of just taking whatever came his way. Yeah. And also, this this is a big thing. I think it might be a generational thing as well because Phil Spector's like um the the greatest generation, or is it the the silent generation, the one before the boomers? Um, so he's of that generation. I feel like that generation do not go to the doctor and they do not seek help. They just sort of get on with shit and they don't try and get help. But at the same time, there is an aspect with Phil Spector of he is so powerful and so rich and so influential that it doesn't matter how much shit he gets into, he's never going to be held to account. And it doesn't matter how mentally ill he is, because there's clearly a history of mental illness in this family. He's so powerful, he can get away with it, essentially. And I think that's why I'm going to have to score him higher. Mm. Because normally we say, well, nobody died, but actually, yes, someone died. And, and he pulled a gun on like every music legend he could find like oh hi nice to meet you john lennon boom here's a fucking 10 right? caliber you know <laughs> well and and then he was talking highly of ike and shit talking mm. tina tina come on man what the fuck? what's the matter with you <laughs> um just because like some of the damage i'm gonna take responsibility off of him because like you can't help how that goes but the asshole bought children for a christmas present and tortured yeah, his family yeah. and then shot a woman in the face so yeah. and, uh, and like threatened so many other people with violence just want to say that the the bipolar thing just before you give the score the bipolar thing that's definitely a possibility but would it not be Po also possible that he had narcissistic personality disorder or he was possibly a psychopath or a sociopath one of the two you you know what's possible is that he had enough money to go talk to a person that could have diagnosed that and handled it for him but like you yeah. said he didn't. didn't and you know it, elder millennials i think are a generation <laughs> that are like that generation that just doesn't go to the doctor at least in the u.s because yeah. we're just told shut up and sit down yeah i we think were the we're TV definitely generation 
Yeah, we're definitely of the generation where we're like, oh, you mean it's okay to go to therapy? All right, let's do it. And like, I've gone to therapy multiple times. I've been like, oh shit, this works. Why did my parents not tell me to do this? Yeah. That's because well, they never did. How come so. nobody said shit about all this really important stuff? I know. It turns out talking guys. helps. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, plenty of bipolar people do not murder. Yeah, that's true. And this is the same excuse we have like, oh, I had this and I had this thing going on. We, we've said this multiple times on the podcast. That condition does not pre... Even being a psychopath doesn't necessarily mean you're going to kill someone. It just means you have psychopathy. You know, you have right. psychopathic tendencies. So doesn't mean you're a murderer. Plenty of people who are psychopaths don't kill people. It just so. means you have something that you have to deal with and manage. Exactly. Preferably by not murdering people or being a dick. Yeah. I would love to have seen him and Shug produce something. Wow. Oh. No one's making it out of that recording studio alive. Either Phil Spector's yeah. pulling a gun on them or Shug's running them over in the car park. You know? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, did I give him his rating yet? No, you didn't. Sorry. Oh. Please rate. I'm going to go for Phil Spector. I'm going to go 90. Just mm. that uh, I want to go lot. higher, but I think 90 is fair just because mm. I feel like there was torture with children involved <laughs> yeah. and the, the simulatedness. There's some gnarly shit that I don't mm. really care for there that, no. that hits me in a spot that I don't like. Yeah, completely so. agree. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a dark one, this. And it, I generally like to pick subjects that I can kind of introduce a little bit of brevity into but and I, I we we cover idiots and my when i told my wife who i was covering she was like is he an idiot or is he just a fucking terrible human being and I'm like well i think the idiot part comes from the fact that he could have stopped this at any point in his life or other people could have stopped it it's, i mean john lennon like just take the fucking gun out of his hand and slap him in the face. Like you, yeah. you, he, John Lennon could do that shit. Or like Dee Ramone, just go mad and beat the shit out of him. He's not that powerful. He could so, have beat up the brat with a baseball bat. There you perhaps. Go. Yes, there we yeah. go. Perfect. Yeah. I'm um, so dad jokey. <laughs> so initially, we, you were like you said, you were going to score this guy quite low, but actually, he did such terrible shit that. Yeah. He, ne he needed a high score and I went backwards and forwards it's funny because when I was thinking of Phil Spector I was like oh I could do this person I, could do I was thinking of doing Robin Thicke which would certainly have been a lot light lighter than this yeah yeah I blurred lines is not quite as dark as shooting someone in the fucking face yeah so, no. yeah and, and I kind of copped out with Chichescu <clears throat> I am bad at names that was actually very good. In fairness, Romanian names are particularly difficult. So well, I kept yeah. I kept confusing him with. Um, now I can't think of the other guy's name, Khrushchev. <laughs> Khrushchev, yeah. And it was messing same me sort up. of era. Yeah, yeah, that's totally happening. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so but, yeah, I, I I think. I mean, it's important that we cover these people because Nikolai Ceausescu was a leader who had unchecked rampant power, introduced a bunch of terrible laws and tried to ban, well, did ban abortion, and it led to terrible effects on his nation. It's all sounding slightly familiar, I think. Um, also, um, Phil Spector is an example of someone who, in the long term, if he just had people around him that told him no, or tried to get him help, the world might be a very different place. He might still be making great records, and maybe not being quite such a colossal, dangerous 
awful human beings. So really the 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 lesson from this episode is unchecked power and influence. And also wear your seatbelt. And also wear your fucking seatbelt. Nobody needs 700 stitches. What the fuck, man? That's that's a horror film in itself right there. That's the opening of Netflix. Netflix, are you watching? Please, first of all, change your pricing model, you fucking scumbags. But also, buy our stuff. We're giving you all of the good ideas. So the opening scene of the uh, Phil Spector story has got to be that fucking car accident. Oh, yeah. Holy shit, 700 stitches? Are you kidding me? That's it's, that's more the look, stitches than like ten people should have in their lives. Jesus, never mind one man's head, one tiny man's head. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Um, so yeah, that's um, Nikolai Ceausescu and um, Phil Spector. So thank you guys for being with us. That was a really interesting episode for me. Quite dark in a lot of ways, but there's a lot of lessons there. Really, check that check that power as often as you can, please. Um, so if you'd like to follow us on social media, please go to at History's Greatest Idiots on Instagram and at Greatest Idiots on Twitter, where we're currently live. If you'd like to watch our live streams, we do have a YouTube channel. Uh, you can find that by searching for History's Greatest Idiots on YouTube, and you can watch our live streams. And of course, obviously, you know, support us on Apple or Spotify or one of those other minor ones that no one fucking uses. Or hit the um, like button, too. Hit the I, like I, I button like and subscribe. Hey, I, I've <laughs> always like resisted doing that, but apparently, like you increase the chances of people doing that by like seventy percent by saying yeah. it. I, I was amazed. I was like, "Is that real?" Yeah, I've yeah. heard it enough that I've started doing it now. Yeah, what's the name on Twitch? Thank you, Kimberly. Um, we don't have an official history's greatest idiots Twitch channel, but I've glummed onto my why all the anger. Sorry, it's um, why all the anger. Let me let me get this this thing right. Twitch.tv slash why all the anger uh, because I already had two hundred and thirty six followers on there, and it was just just easier than starting from scratch. And also, please, if you would like to support us by slinging us a little bit of cash and getting yourself a free gift, and also um, uh, uh, kind of behind the scenes stuff, including behind the scenes scripts, and also if you're with us for a year, we will send you a get out of idiocy free card, which I'm working on. Definitely nice. get that together. Yes, <laughs> and go to patreon.com/slash history's greatest idiots, and you can join our existing patrons: Jesse Chris, the OG Patreon, Kimberly Johnson, who joins us in chat all the time as bright eyes. Thank you so much, and also our new Patreon, Andrew. Zavara. If I've said that wrong, please message us on Patreon so that I can say it correctly. Thank you also to the people that drop by in the chat on both YouTube and Twitch. So that would be Dr. J over on Twitch, as well as the legendary Toasterzoid and the uh, the Wilsons, the familiar Wilsons media. Thank you so much, guys, for dropping by. It's so wonderful to have an active chat. I cannot tell you how much we love that. Good yeah. episode that's coming from uh, a man who is five foot four. Yes. <laughs> You're... Dr. J is five four. Dr. J is five foot four. That's the first Dr. J I've heard that's under seven foot tall. Um, <laughs> it's the only the second Dr. J I've ever heard of. I know, yeah, me too. It's not is your last name Irving? It can't be. No. Um, <laughs> so thank you, Dr. J. You're under five foot tall. Cute picture, by the way. Um, so yeah, please follow us on all those things and you know subscribe and follow us on the various uh, like podcast channels. We're up to like like two two and a half thousand plays per month now i'm really enjoying this we're getting there man 
it's Getting it there. is awesome and i do like little to no promotion or help at all i'm, I'm hoping to <laughs> i'm hoping that some of the stuff i've said and we've said and this can be turned in, into promotion that's our next stage is we need to find an editor who will trawl through our like two hour ramblings and find like two or three really good highlights to stick on like uh youtube and instagram and maybe even my um uh, my TikTok. Also, just to point out that my myself and Derek, you'll find in the description um, a bunch of links to our social media, so please go and check that, that out. They'll be in the description of the video and the podcast, but also the people who work on the podcast, so that's Andrew Wilson, who makes the music, Daniel Wilson, who did the animation for our, the start of our Twitch streams, and also uh, the artist who designed the actual logo, who is on Fiverr. You can you can hire her. She's She's working. So, yeah, thank you guys so much. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks on the podcast and probably sooner than that with the streams so that we can get some more of these live streams going. So, this is fun. I like live streaming. I love live streaming. This is like <laughs> one of the easiest things in the world. And you get to talk to people. It's great. Question, if I pay up a year of Patreon, can I get the pass sooner? I think I'm going to need it soon. I mean, yes, you're going to have to give me some time to get my shit together, but yeah, if you want to sling us like a, a year's worth of Patreon money right away, yes, I will I will make that happen. I swear to God, even if I have to ask my wife to design one, uh, we can make that shit happen. So. I've got a laminator. Yes, Derek, Derek has a laminator. Um, we have a bunch of like, like pens, and crayons we will make you a get out of stupidity free sign that will look so amazing that no one will doubt that you definitely earned it so yeah <laughs> thank you guys so much um derek would you like to say goodbye please hey thanks for hanging out everybody bye thank you so much this has been so much fun and we'll see you as soon as we can okay take care now bye